what that is. So I will um, pray for us here, and then we will jump in. So our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning to come together. Uh, we're thankful for a new day. We're thankful for this Thanksgiving week in which we can give thanks, Lord, for your many blessings and for who you are. So I pray that each person here has uh, a blessed week, a, a time where even in the midst of their own troubles and difficulties and um, challenges in life, they can be reminded of our, the great God that we serve and this wondrous beauty we experience through through our salvation. So I pray that this class has been helpful for all to come to greater um, just awareness of the depths of our salvation, that there's just so much here that we could spend a lifetime talking about, and we will have eternity to really grow in our understanding of. So please bless, uh, bless each and every person here in this Thanksgiving week, and help us today as we look at this doctrine that we call sanctification. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so there in your notes, um, I'm going to deviate a little bit from your notes, but, but I'll sort of keep the main points of it. You know, so we're going to be talking about this doctrine that we call sanctification. So some of the previous uh, topics that we've covered would include um, justification, so being declared righteous. You've looked at adoption, being brought into God's family. You've looked at union with Christ. Um, you know, being connected to Christ and all the blessings that follow. Uh, so if you remember from some time ago, we had that what we call the order of salvation and, and sort of that timeline. Um, so now we're at the part of it that's talking about sanctification. So sanctification. So this, uh, this word here, sanctification, it comes from a Greek word meaning to set apart. So to set apart. And there's two uh, aspects of that that we're going to be looking at today. So our topic is sanctification. So earlier, you know, you talked about justification. Can anybody remind me, can anybody give me that definition of justification or at least a, a definition of justification? To be declared righteous. Good. So just remember in here, your final exam will consist of 200 uh, multiple choice questions and then 10, a 10 essay questions. Um, for essays, I'm looking for about a page, a page and a half to two pages on each one of those. If we fail, we go to hell. <laughs> Purgatory. <laughs> We'll have to repeat. <laughs> no, we're just kidding. <laughs> But yeah, um, justification, you're right. That's that legal declaration, okay? So tonight, now we're in sanctification. We're going to be looking at a couple different components of that. Um, we'll be looking at one aspect of that, and there's some different names to this, okay? So positional or definitive Definitive sanctification, okay? And then another component of that is called progressive sanctification. So positional and progressive. So our, our definition of sanctification would be to, to be set apart. That's where we're talking about this positional, to be set apart. And then that's in, that's in one sense. And then in another sense, um, we're, we're growing in this. Uh, we're, we're continuing to be sanctified. So that's where we get this progressive part. It's this Christ-like growth. So if you look at it, you know, in sort of a timeline even, you have a positional aspect of it. There's going to be a definitive moment in time in which you were sanctified. There's, there's that definitive moment. But then there's going to be this progressive moment in which you are being sanctified, leading you to your ultimate final sanctification. 
So that's maybe where a lot of people get tripped up is they don't necessarily understand that there's different components to this. When they look at sanctification, they don't maybe realize there's a positional element to it and then there's a progressive element to it. Uh, so we want to make sure we understand both of those. So again, sanctification is the work of God by which he makes people holy. So in Latin, this is, that's a little bit harder to understand. You know, if you're just looking at the English word, it's a little bit harder to understand. But in the Latin word, uh, you have these, these two components right there. Um, part of it, sanctus, means holy. And then you have phase, uh, or, or to make, I should say. So to make holy. So that's how we're uh, distinguishing between sanctification and justification. And it's very important that, you know, when you leave this class, you have a, a good understanding of the differences between the two of them. Because many Christians get tripped up over that. They don't understand how justification and sanctification are different from each other. And so it plays out, maybe, we'll talk about some of the errors that people have fallen into regarding sanctification. But, but just one of those would be um, this idea that we have to keep doing things in order to keep our standing with God. Like, I don't know if I've done enough to make it into heaven. I, I just, I don't know if I've quite tried hard enough, you know, or if, if I've done quite enough good things. And you'll, you'll hear people say that pretty frequently. And so that's where this misunderstanding between justification and sanctification come in. They're, they're confusing the two of those. They think that sanctification is somehow the way in which I get to heaven by being holy enough for God, by being righteous enough for God. And they're, they're torn because they realize, oh, I just, it just don't seem to be measuring up, you know, and it's, it doesn't leave me feeling, feeling very comfortable here. But no, our justification, if you remember that, how mu like what part of this is God's work, justification? Yeah, all God's, all God's work. 100%. No works, no works in that. You don't do anything to be justified. What we're going to have to flesh out here in sanctification is, in some way, there's a role that we play in that. Well, what is that? So we want to try to understand that as well. But uh, you can, uh, other people get maybe tripped up, um, Lutherans, for example. So the reason why we're not Lutheran here is because the Lutherans teach that sanctification is just remembering your justification. That's what Gerald Ford, um, some of the other Lutherans like to say, like to teach, is there's no difference between the two of them. Sanctification, you're just remembering your justification. Well, that's not what we see biblically. And I think that would that leads to a lot of challenges if, if that's all your understanding is. So if it's like if uh, Jan is struggling with, um, you know, maybe some anxiety and we just all we could tell her then is, well, Jan, you just got to remember your justification. Just remember that you're justified in Christ. You you better now? No? Okay. Well, we'll keep telling you that, all right? <laughs> so, you see what I mean? It's, it's like it kind of falls short because you end up, the only thing you can really tell somebody is just keep remembering your justification. Just keep reminding yourself of that. Well, that's part of it, but there's a part that we play in it, you know, and that's where a good understanding of sanctification comes in. So it really, you know, with these doctrines, none of these are just out there in theory. They all matter quite a bit in the way that we actually live our lives. And so if we can understand sanctification, it's going to help you as you go to battle against sin and against your own struggles. You're going to understand, okay, here's, here's the role that God plays. Here's the role that I play. Here's how these two things are working together, and it's going to really help you. So sanctification. Um, so sanctification is this this change in us, this change is happening. Uh, we, bec we are being changed from somebody who was captured by sin and enslaved uh, by sin and, and somebody who, was, who really had the image of, of God distorted in us. Uh, we are changing to grow in Christ's image. So justification is freeing us from the, the power of sin and the guilt of sin Think about it that way. But sanctification then is freeing us from the stain of sin. So sin leaves a stain, a mark on us. And that's what sanctification is. 
so, so justification is freeing us from the power of it, and sanctification would be, in a sense, from the stain of it. So if you remember back in Genesis, God created people in His likeness and image. And that's what makes us as people different from the animals or the plants or, or anything else, or even the angels. Well, with sin and the fall, the image of God in man has become distorted. It's still there. Every person is an image bearer, but that image is very distorted. And it's sanctification that's then renewing that image of God in people, in, in those who are saved, so that they become like Christ in that sense. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this about sanctification. It says, Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So I think that's a pretty good, short, concise definition of sanctification. I'll, I'll read it again for you. It's a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. So did you catch that renewal of the image? That language is important. And are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. So if all we had was justification, it wouldn't be enough. We would be declared not guilty, but we wouldn't actually be changed. And so we need the work of sanctification to actually change us. So sanctification uh, is called a work and not an act because it involves a real change in a person's nature over time. It's not, it's not like a, a legal or a, or a relational um, change per se, but, but it's, a, it's a work. There's a real change. So in justification, this was a declaration, but it didn't actually change us. So when God declared you not guilty, it didn't actually change you. It was a legal declaration. So sanctification, though, is God changing us. So our, our salvation, then, is a really big concept, not a really small concept. If our, if our salvation was only justification, you know, God just giving you a get-out-of-hell card, I think it would not give glory to God like it should. But God is going to be glorified, and so He's going to change. He wants, or His desire is to change every single thing that's wrong with us into what's right, into the image of Christ. So that's how God is glorified, through actually changing us. So it's, it's a work of God's free grace. That's the same with justification. So we don't do anything in and of ourselves to make God change us. God's not doing this because He's looking at us and saying, oh, you know, they're trying so hard, or they're really smart, or whatever the case is. It's He freely wants us, or He, he freely loves us, and, and it's from His grace that He's doing us. So, sanctification uh, has been purchased by Christ. It's been given by the Spirit's work. So apart from Christ's work, apart from the work of the Spirit, we wouldn't be transformed into the image of Christ. So I want you to think uh, maybe a little bit before we go forward. Think of this category of legalistic holiness. So this legalistic self-righteousness. How is the sanctification that we're talking about different from a legalism? What do you think? Well, it strikes me legalism is work centered and sanctification is God centered. Okay. Mm hmm Because God takes away the sins, we can't take them away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Joel is pointing out that in sanctification we have God God working versus in legalism. It's the person is doing things, but you don't always know from the works and what's happening whether this is God or the person, right? And so that's why uh, a legalism and sanctification can sometimes, at least maybe initially, look, look a lot alike. You know, you can see a person coming to church, you can see them reading their Bible, you can see them uh, serving and 
listening to the right music and, and all of these things, right? But how do you know if that's a work of God or how do you know if that's not this evangel, you know, this legalism that's in there? And on some, you know, in some ways you can't know, but then there's other ways that uh, we can flesh that out a little bit more. So I'd like to, um, I'd like to, I think it's in your notes, isn't it? That chart that explains the distinction between justification and sanctification. Do you see that in your notes? Mm-hmm. So again, that's maybe helpful to look at. Um, justification, there, it's a legal standing, whereas sanctification, it's an internal change. <clears throat> uh, justification, it's once for all time. And then sanctification, it's continuous throughout life. So we're not, in other words, we're not continuing to be re-justified every day. You know, Katie, you're not waking up every day like, God, please just re-justify me today. Declare me righteous again. But, but our prayer is, God, keep sanctifying me. Justification, entirely God's work. Sanctification, we cooperate, so we'll have to understand what that means. Justification, uh, it's perfect in this life. Um, sanctification, it's when it says not perfect in this life, meaning it's, it's not completed. But even, even with justification, I mean, we're, we're still all awaiting a final justification. So I would even say that our justification is not as final as it one day will be. Um, justification is the same in, in all Christians. You know, if you're a believer in Christ, you got the same legal direct, uh, legal declaration that every other Christian got. I mean, Gabe's justification, his legal declaration from God is not different from Teresa's, for example. It's the same. But sanctification can look different. It's greater in some than it is in others. Any questions so far, maybe about, you know, that chart or anything we've talked about, about the differences between... Uh, justification and sanctification, or any thoughts? Feel free to give your thoughts as well. Thinking of the difference in sanctification and legalism, um, just legalism is so has so much of man's will in it, and I just think the way that I am most clearly see sanctification in my own life is through suffering, and I would rather not do that. So that's <laughs> not my will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's to me that sanctification progressively leads to God, well, legalism progressively leads to pride. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always the danger that we, you know, can tend to fall into is we can, uh, even in churches, we can tend to push this moralism, you know, this, this effort of like, get your life together, clean it up, do good. And, and, and that's what Christianity is. And whereas sanctification is doing good, being obedient to God. I mean, that's, that's true, but it's a result of what God is doing in us. So who gets the credit for it? Not us, because we are doing it. And it's not us doing it to earn more favor with God. God gets the credit and we, we are doing it because God is working in us. So those things can sound very similar, but they're really worlds apart. So let's go then to the necessity of sanctification. I mean, why do we need to be sanctified? I'll throw that out there to you as a question first. Why do we need to be sanctified? Why isn't justification enough? even after we've been justified. And if our goal is to bring glory to Christ, we have to look like him, and that stain has to be lessened. Yeah, good. Very good. Mm-hmm. It makes us a better image of Christ to others. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Can somebody uh, read to me Hebrews twelve fourteen, please? Okay. Strive for peace 
with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's one good part of the answer right there. If you caught that, there's a holiness required to see the Lord. And we can be very dismissive of that and be like, no, it actually doesn't mean that. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure my best efforts are good enough. You know, it doesn't really mean that kind of holiness is required. I, I don't think he's really talking about that. But no, that's not the case. Um, we have the absolute necessity of sanctification to, to be able to behold the Lord, to be able to behold God and His glory and this kingdom that we're headed into. So the unsanctified person is not going to be able to come into God's kingdom. Uh, if somebody would want to read Revelation 21, 2, and then 10 and 27. So those three verses in Revelation 21. 2, 10, and 27. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. What was the next one? And 27. And there shall in no wise enter, there shall in no wise enter into anything unclean, or he that maketh an abomination and a lie, but only they are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah, thank you. So they're, they're in that context. I mean, I understand there's different interpretations of what this passage is talking about, but my understanding is, you know, this is this is symbolic of, of God's kingdom uh, as God's dwelling encompasses the whole earth. It's this new heavens and new earth. And, and there's nothing unclean that's going to come into it. So there's an absolute necessity that all of us or every everyone that's entering in it is going to be holy. So if you if you want to take notes, um, first, God's people must be sanctified because God is holy. So God's people must be sanctified because God is holy. Uh, if, we could, if I could get someone to read 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 16, please. Like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in, in everything you do. For it is written, uh, The Holy One shall be, for I am holy. Holy you shall be, for I am holy. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. First uh, Peter 1, 14 to 16. So sometimes, you know, it's pretty common for, for people to say, uh, well, God, God, can't, God can't be in the presence of sin. And then, of course, that starts other conversations like, well, how did Satan then come and, come and talk to him then? Or, you know, what, what about this and what about that? And so I don't know that that's necessarily the most helpful way to, um, to say things. But, but it's very true that in order to dwell with God, people must be sanctified. Okay, so, so people must be sanctified. And you see that throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament there as well. Um, if God would allow unsanctified people to dwell with Him, that would deny that He's God. So in order to dwell with God, we use that language, not just be in the presence of, but dwell with. There must, there must, uh, those must be sanctified. Second, God's people must be sanctified because they are image bearers. So God's people must be sanctified because they are image bearers. So I mentioned this back in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, were created in God's likeness and image. And so at the core of that then is holiness. To be created in God's image is to be holy. It's the purpose for which God created everything. So rocks or trees or animals don't have to be morally excellent because God did not create those things to reflect His personal character. A rock is not re created to reflect 
God's attributes or character, but humans are. So if human beings are not holy, they then fail uh, to fulfill their purposes and they fall short of the glory of God. So again, one of God's purposes um, as we go forward in redemptive history is that those, you know, every, every single person he brings into his family will fulfill the purposes for which he's created humanity. So we're going to be dwelling in the new heavens and the new earth, and we'll be perfectly fulfilling God's purposes for humanity, unlike the first Adam. But in order to do that, holiness is required. You cannot fulfill God's purposes apart from holiness. So that's why sanctification is necessary. And that's also the means by which we will enjoy God. So you cannot enjoy God and worship Him if you're not holy. There's, there's no way. So holiness is required in order for anyone to glorify and enjoy God. Third, we must be sanctified because we're born in the state of sin. We, are, we must be sanctified because we are born in the state of sin. So we've talked about that earlier. If you rewind and go back to the start of where we started from, when we talked about original sin, uh, ever since the, the fall, everyone has been conceived in sin, Psalm 51.5. And we go, we go astray from the womb. So David sums it up like this, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They have all gone aside. They are together become filthy. There is none that does good, no, not one. So can we have a sanctified life if we don't have a renewed nature? That's right, we can't. If, we, if our nature is not renewed, there's no way for us to live a holy life. Jesus even talks about, can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit? Well, no. If the nature of the tree has not changed, there's no way there's going to be any kind of good fruit. So it's going to take a work of grace, a very, very mighty work of grace, to come into a person's life so that they can have holiness that pleases God. Again, apart from being sanctified, we're unclean, we're offensive to God's holiness, and we're the object of His displeasure. Fourth, we must be sanctified because morality and religious, religiosity are not holiness. So, so in other words, being religious or being moral is not equal to holiness, necessarily. So just because you come to church... Just because you read the Bible in your spare time, just because you don't go out and hurt people, doesn't mean that you're holy. So we know that sinners have a lot of power to refrain from you know, many types of outward sins. Uh, many people out there are not outwardly rebelling against authority. They're not there out there murdering. They're not out there committing adultery or stealing. I mean, your, your unsaved neighbors or you know, people in the community that you're in, not all of them are out there doing all these kinds of things, right? Many of them are living very nice, respectable lives. They can even be participating in things like prayer and fasting, just like the Pharisees did. But Apart from a supernatural work of grace, sin is still engraven on their hearts. Jeremiah 17.1, for example. You know, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. They're remaining under the, the reigning power of sin. So we don't want to confuse um, being moral and being religious with being holy. And that's why we need sanctification. Because there's more to it than just coming to church and, and living a moral life. Fifth, we, we need to be sanctified because regeneration is only the beginning of holiness. Regeneration is only the beginning of holiness. So back when we talked about regeneration or that new birth, 
that was only the start of holiness, only, only the beginning. It's your, when you were born again, uh, God introduced righteousness and love. He broke the reigning pattern of sin in your life. But there's still this aspect where you have to grow. Um, you know, you didn't instantly become perfect. So, this, so there's this progress that we have to make in our Christian life. You're probably experiencing these battles all the time between the flesh and the spirit. You have thoughts and desires that you know aren't of God, and you have thoughts and desires that you know are of God, and you have a battle between the two of these. There's thoughts in your mind that need to be renewed. There's more understanding of the Spirit that needs to take place in your heart so that you can know the Lord and know truth in a greater way. So there's this need for a continuing work uh, so that we can continue to grow in holiness. So this is probably one of the distinctions between, say, um, what I just said there, between, say, like the Methodists, or we call them the Wesleyans, their view of sanctification. So in uh, what I think the view that I'm presenting of sanctification in is it's, it's a growth, right? It's not an instantaneous act. Uh, whereas, <coughs> like the Methodists, you know, the Wesleyans would look for this zap. So you, you kind of get saved here, and then, you know, you're going on, and, and you're looking for this, this really this zap right here. And when you get this zap, bang, you're going you're gonna to be headed to where you need to be, right? And so they're, they're looking for this, you know, this second experience maybe is, is some of the language that they use. And that would be wonderful if that happened. You know, it would be wonderful if, if that was how it worked. Like, you know, Gabe is, is waiting for the second zap. And once he gets that second zap, we're not going to catch him. I mean, he's just going to be, you know, he's just going to be way up here spiritually. And the, and the rest of you are just kind of waiting there until you know, struggling with your sin and everything else till you get that second zap. But, but that's not how it works. You know, sanctification is, is more like this. It's more like, right? But <laughs> it's definitely not like this. That's not it. But up and down and kind of all over the place. But the point being, you know, there's this progression. There's this, there's this progress that we're going on. And what, what began all that was God's work of making you alive. Josh, I'm curious, what, what uh, if you know, what scripture does Methodist use to justify that, that stand in regards to sanctification? Yeah. Uh, I could come back with a more thorough answer for that. Um, I know one of the one of the passages in particular, especially in First um, John, is they're talking about love is perfected, and so it's this idea of of a perfect love and really getting to that point where um, where, where if you can get to that point, you're going to have this this almost this perfection in a sense. So I think they would. Um, you know, Paul mentions a second experience of grace, and there's different ways to take that. And so they're going to take a passage like that and be like, well, see, you know, that's what Paul's talking about right there. But I could certainly uh, come back with a definitely more thorough answer for that. Curious. Yeah. It's a great question. So six, then, uh, God's people must be sanctified because salvation demands the response of holy love. Salvation demands the response of holy love. So we as Christians have been forgiven much, and therefore we are to love much. It's a love that <clears throat> motivates us to honor Christ with, with our lives and costly devotion. Paul talks about presenting our bodies to be a living sacrifice. Uh, people must know how great their sin and miseries are and how they can be delivered from them, but also how they can show their gratitude to God for such deliverance. 
So one catechism says this, Christ, having redeemed and delivered us by his blood, also renews us by his, soul, by his Holy Spirit after his own image, that so we may testify by the whole of our conduct, our gratitude to God for his blessings, that he might be praised by us. <clears throat> so again, sanctification is a way in which we give thanks to God. It's a way of demonstrating our love to God. You know, if God just saved us and there was no response on our part to God, what would that say about our love for God? Like, God, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you gave me the get-out-of-hell card, but I don't really have to live my life for you. Well, you know, why, is, why does that matter? Why is that important? I don't have to do that. Right? So if there was no change, it would send a message to God about our love for Him. So your, your sanctification, again, it's not earning you favor with God. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it does send a message about the, the way in which we love God. Those who, who are growing in sanctification are communicating to God, God, I love you. Thank you for delivering me from the path I was on and from this old life. And, and the way I show my love and demonstrate that is by living this holy life for you. And then finally here, uh, we must be sanctified because <clears throat> good works demonstrate the reality of our salvation. Good works demonstrate the reality of our salvation. So to be clear, God saves people through faith apart from works. We're saved by faith apart from works. But faith is an invisible act of the soul. And a living faith in Christ becomes visible by the works it generates through love. You're probably familiar with James. And James says this about, I think, I think you probably know this passage. He says this about faith and works. Uh, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead being alone. James talks about showing faith by his works. So sanctification is, is necessary to prove to God's people and to those around them that they're truly united to Christ with a genuine faith. It's not, again, the, the difference is it's not proving to God. It's not getting us right with God. That's not what it does. We can't do that. But it's demonstrating to God's people and to others around us that we actually are connected to Jesus with a saving faith. So how do you know if someone's a believer? If all we had to go on was a testimony, like, I'm a, I'm a Christian, that's, that's all I need to give. That's it's like nothing, right? It's like me saying I'm an NFL quarterback or I'm a you know, I'm the president of the United States. <laughs> that's, if it's just all my word, you know, there's, there's no way to demonstrate that that's true or not. It's the works that, that demonstrate that. Okay, so any, any other questions about uh, those um, seven uh, reasons for sanctification there? Or maybe another reason that you thought of apart from these? I'm not saying those are the only ones. We had to, so we could dwell with God. It had me thinking of the tabernacle and um, not just the priests, but the utensils and the bowls and the lampstands, and they all had to be made holy before mm -hmm. they could go in. And if inanimate objects have to be made holy to dwell with God, how much more would we, sin stained people, have to be made holy? Yeah, that's very good. Yep. Mm hmm. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah, and as, as we'll see, you know, it's when the Bible's talking about clean and unclean, especially there in the Old Testament, it, it's not talking about, you know, those items had like food on them or they were just dirty and needed to be washed up. I mean, this is, they needed to be set apart for God. So it's a different kind of cleanness maybe than what initially comes to our minds. So we're going to talk uh, first here about positional sanctification positional sanctification <clears throat> and so theologians have also called this definitive sanctification in order to be able to distinguish it from progressive sanctification 
So we need, we need some way to distinguish this aspect of our sanctification from this aspect of our sanctification. So definitive sanctification, uh, it's, it's a decisive and definitive breach with the power and service of sin. So it happens at a particular point in time. There's a break from the penalty and the power of sin. So you can go back to when you were saved, when the Spirit worked in you, and you were definitively and positionally set apart. And it's signified outwardly by baptism. So Paul, we're going to have some baptisms here coming up uh, in this next service here. And Paul uh, writes, How shall we that, who are, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you not know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? So this definitive sanctification, it's signified outwardly by baptism. It's the beginning of the Christian walk or the Christian life, and it really paves the way for the progressive sanctification that will follow that. There in your notes, you've got 1 Corinthians uh, 6.11. That's talking about this definitive sanctification. Paul says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of our God. So he's talking about this definitive moment in time in which this was true for you. Okay, so positional, you're set apart. Um, it happens at a moment in time. Now, let's go to uh, progressive sanctification here. So this is where we pursue holiness. This is where we are actually growing in Christ-likeness. So after uh, Paul has reminded them there in Romans 6 of their decisive death to sin and coming alive to God, he then calls them to go on to pursue this growth of holiness in their lives. So can we take a look at Romans 6, 19 to 22, please? And if I could get someone to read those verses. Romans 6, 19 to 22. <clears throat> I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now... Offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves in sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that are now ashamed of? You are not ashamed of. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Okay, thank you. So there, so there he's talking about that progressive aspect of it, this growth in holiness. And, and this, this takes effort by faith in God's promises. So, even though uh, it does take effort on our part, it's still a result of God's grace. It's still a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So the, set, the success of our sanctification doesn't fall in us doing it good enough or trying hard enough, or, or it's not us, but, it, but the success depends on God because our, our end goal is that we're found holy at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and faithful is He that called us who will also do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. So this progressive sanctification, this positional, this is an, the aspect that God does. We don't do anything to set ourselves apart. That's a work of God. This progressive part of it, though, we cooperate with God. It's not that we're just sitting there doing nothing and then waking up, you know, and, and the next day we're like more holy than we were the day before. No, we cooperate with God. So it takes a human willingness. It takes a human working. 
um, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this about that. Their ability to do good works is not all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ, and that they may be able, and that they may be enabled thereunto, beside the graces they have already received, there is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and do of His good pleasure, yet they are not hereupon to grow negligent as if they were not bound to perform any duty unless a special motion of the Spirit, but they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them. So that's what the Westminster Confession of Faith says, is, is that none of us can be um, neg neg negligent and just sitting back and waiting for some kind of uh, revelation from God or some kind of feeling to come on us as to like, okay, now I need to do it because I've got this special feeling that came over me. So whenever I get these feelings or this zap from God, then I, can, then I should be go going out there and working when it comes to living out my salvation. No, it's, it's not that. It's we're to be diligent. We are to stir up the grace of God within us. So Louis Burkhoff says, man must cooperate with the Spirit of God in sanctification. That's plainly evident from the repeated warnings against evils and temptations and the constant exhortations to holy living in the Bible. He added, these imply that the believer must be diligent in the employment of the means at his command for the moral and spiritual improvement of his life. So there's a, a diligence. There's a, there's a diligence. All those commands in Scripture, all those warnings, uh, all those calls to holy living uh, indicate that we have to be diligent to employ um, God's graces in our lives in order to be able to keep His commands and to grow. You have there on your sheet 2 Peter 3.18. And in the context of Second Peter chapter three, right there, uh, Paul or Peter, sorry, has started off with 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 God's work there at the beginning of that chapter, <clears throat> and now he's he he then moves into the responses that we have. He says, "But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." So there's a responsibility, a, a cooperation, if you will, on our part in this. So there in your notes, it says, God's initiative, but man's responsibility. And you have Philippians. One of the great passages for this to, to show that aspect of it is Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. So that says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Okay, so we're, what, we're, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to understand this tension, if you will, between God's initiative and, and our responsibility. What we're trying to flesh out is, if we say that sanctification is, is we cooperate with God in, well, what exactly does that mean? And right, that's it's hard to know, right? Like it's at first glance, you may be a little bit confused. Like, is this like we do fifty percent of it and then God does fifty percent? Is this we do ninety percent of it and then God does ten percent, or God does ninety nine percent and then we do one percent? You know, what does it mean to cooperate with God in our sanctification? Um, but I like what John Murray uh, says about this balance here that we see in Philippians twelve or Philippians two verses twelve and thirteen. So the, so the balance is between, if you notice that there in the text, working out your salvation, but at the same time it's God working in you. That's the balance we're trying to trying to determine there, right? And so this is what Murray said. He says, <coughs> God's working in us is not suspended because we work nor are working suspended because God works. Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God did His part and we did ours, so that the conjunction or the coordination of both produced the required result. God works in us, and we also work. But the relationship is that because God works, we work. All working out of our salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us, both the willing and the doing. So let's try to make that simple, okay, as we end here for today. Let's try to make that simple. Um, 
so this this was my uh, sanctification t uh, progress. You know, not not like here, but like more like that. <laughs> so it's not as if it's not as if the equation is like this. So God, and then here's us. Okay, God's putting in um, 99%, and then plus the 1% from us equals the 100%. Okay, that it can be easy to, as we use that word cooperation to think in those kind of terms, like we're both having to contribute something, and then we get the, this net outcome here. Um, it's, it's what we're really saying is, is like this. So and we're not even going to use these percentages right here. But it's, it's God who's working in us. And then the, the results, the fruit. So because God is working in, in us, we work, which then leads to this fruit. So, you know, if you had this model... Um, you know, it, uh, that 1% you can take credit for, right? Well, God did his 99%, and I did what, my 1%, so look at what came out of that. You know, it's pretty good. I can take some credit for that, because I, I put some stuff into this. But you take, you know, and I, get, I think this also helps explain the difference between biblical sanctification and legalism. So legalism would just be focused on our work, our contribution. What do I need to put into it? But what it ignores is God's work. I mean, you take this part of the equation out and you've got nothing. So we can only work because God is working in us. If that wasn't true, then why do we need Jesus? Why do we need to be saved? We could just do it all. So it's got to be God working in us. And as a result of that, we work. So we don't want to lose that aspect of it, too. We don't, again, want to fall into this trap of thinking, well, God just does it all. Jesus obeys for me. I don't have to do anything tomorrow. I just remember my justification. And Jesus is just going to go out there, and he's going to be obedient for me. does not work like that. Uh, we work. We fight temptation. We, we strive to renew our thoughts. We focus on um, godly promises. We fight the flesh. We seek to exercise self-control. But we can only do that because God working in us, and then that produces the fruit, all of which the credit goes completely back to God. So next time, uh, I'd like to talk about the relevance of this, and then just looking at some errors that Christians over the years have fallen into when it comes to this doctrine of sanctification. So I would also welcome your questions, too, if you've got uh, more questions um, as you've been thinking about this. So Lord willing, uh, we will see you next Sunday. Take care.